This is OPI Talk, the voice of the business products industry. Hello everybody and welcome to this episode of OPI Talk. I'm your host, Andy Braithwaite. My guest today is Lee Nasuli, the industry analyst for the NPD Group's office supplies division. We look back at some of the key numbers that came out of NPD's research in 2020, and most notably in the retail channel. Lean then provides some great insight into category opportunities for office products resellers in 2021 and beyond. Hi, Lean. Good to see you today. Hope you're doing well. I think you're in uh, upstate New York. Is that right? That's right. It's uh, cold up here, but we have a a new or a, a warm week coming up, which I'm really excited about. And it's a pleasure to be here, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being on the OPI Talk podcast. Lean, perhaps just to start, a very quick uh, introduction of yourself. Yes. So my name is uh, Lean Masuli, and I work for the NPD Group as the Office Supplies Industry Analyst. So my primary role is studying the retail industry for office supplies, as well as the commercial uh B2B office supplies industry. And I, I focus on traditional supplies. So that's uh, your writing instruments, filing, presentation and reference. Uh, Shredders falls under that. So it's a lot of your really traditional non-tech categories that are used within the office supplies and home office space and back to school. So your classroom. Yeah. Okay, great. So for the purposes of our our discussion, which which products really are we going to be talking about in particular? And then also which, which channels? And I don't know if you can mention specific, you know, the names of retailers themselves and whether it's, you know, bricks and mortar and online. Yes, absolutely. So I think with a lot of the different trends that are happening and opportunities within the retail space, I think that's a good focus area for us. We uh, work with um, about 90, I mean, our coverage within our retail space is about 95% coverage. Within that, uh, we have mass, so that includes Walmart and Target, e-commerce, it includes Amazon.com. We cover the dollar channel, craft channel, retailers, and then specialty office. Retailers are included as a part of that as well. The other nice thing about office supplies is that we are able to um, parse out the performance of brick and mortar stores versus e-commerce. Okay, great. Let's uh, jump into some of the uh, the results or the numbers that you have uh, released for for 2020 because I think they're they're quite interesting. Wanted to start with just your U.S. retail office supplies results, which showed a decline of one percent last year. Now, looking at everything that's happened, that doesn't seem too bad of a result. It doesn't. To our surprise, you know, the real impact in 2020 to the office supplies industry took place in March during the initial shutdown and closure of uh, the country. And prior to that, the industry was growing at a rate of about two, 3%. It varied from week to week, obviously, but January and February, we were seeing growth in 2020. March was one of the months that really kind of declined because of the shutdown. And then after that, we bounced right back. April was uh, a growth month for us. So so were May and June. Uh, July and August got hit really hard. Uh, that was the the back to school impact. So, mm. you know, I I look at the industry in two different two different ways. You have your um, section of the industry that's really primarily focused on your back to school list shopping. That's that K through six 
back to school shopping. That's the bread and butter of July and August sales. And it usually makes up a relatively large portion or mix of the retail office supply sales. So uh, it could be anything from um, 70 to 80% of sales during those key back to school mm. season weeks where those, those um, categories are become very relevant. And then, um, you know, when you look at the, other parts of the year, it's really more about that small business customer, the home office customer, um, the office customer in general. And, you know, as soon as we came out of the back, the, the traditional or, um, you know, what we think of as the back to school season, the industry went right back to growth. So we were right back at a five, six, seven, eight percent growth every month after that. So well into September, October, November and December, these months all grew sales. Much of that was driven by trends that were outside of the, the back to school uh, purchase motivators. So I would say one of the top areas has been um, in home entertainment. So things that are used for the creative side, whether that's for children or adults. So coloring and art was a big area. A lot of the creative writing and, uh, instruments. So color markers, for example, uh, another area has been the home office setup. So shredders have been growing like crazy, actually. And uh, the 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 moving so um, moving mail and ship area has also been a tremendous growth thought for the industry. That's really boosted sales. Typically, that category group grows five to six percent during 2020. It um, was up to 25, 30 percent growth. And then um, the last area I would mention is that we do track storage. An organization within office supplies that's typically found within the home department, within a retailer like Target or Walmart. So that's your 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 big storage um, plastic totes. So that area has been another strong growth driver for our industry as well. Um, probably one of the top areas of growth that really boosted boosted sales. It's interesting that pre-COVID you were seeing growth. Whereas, you know, we've talked for a long time about, about declining categories. So yeah, are, are we wrong to talk about declining categories? And, and if so, yeah, where, where is that growth coming from? Well, within our industry, we've been heavily impacted by the shift to digital. And that, that is hitting certain categories harder than others. And what I mean when I say shift to digital, it's not necessarily the shift to e-commerce, which is a whole nother topic we can talk about today, but more about the consumer shift in using digital alternatives to what they would have used traditional supplies for. So for example, things like um, instead of a physical file organization and document storing, that's all happening online. Children you know, in schools are shifting a little bit more to tech-based products. So there's, le there's less need for paper-based materials in some cases. Uh, less, you might not need, for example, as many notebooks or uh, loose filler paper, binders, uh, filing. All these um, categories that are either more paper-based or they revolve around um, traditional uh, organization type um, methods that are now being replaced with digital forms. Um, those are being hit the hardest and you're seeing it in the unit sales. Okay, but overall growth, there was growth of uh, you know low, low single digit digit growth. Where, yeah, where were you seeing that? So uh, some of the the growth has been in our uh, coloring and art categories, the writing instrument categories. Um, the other thing you have to think about is the mix change that took place in 2020. So, for example, um, during certain months where you might have you know, lower price point products that are being purchased 
these have, you know, because they weren't being purchased in such a high frequency, however, uh, a product like a shredder, which, you know, is the one unit uh, has a much higher price point than let's say purchasing a portfolio or file folder. The, as these as these increase, that also helped overall dollar sales for the industry. So in some cases, you might have actually seen unit decline, but uh, you're seeing you you are gaining dollars just due to the nature of the types of products that are now being sold at retail and their higher price point products, um, and they're taking up a larger mix of sales on a week to week basis, just naturally driving dollars up. Okay. For the industry. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's clear. In terms of online sales versus bricks and mortar sales, any, anything you can share? That there? is the topic of the hour, right? Um, that's, <laughs> I've, I spoke about that a lot in 2020, lots of questions around this space. I think there's a lot of opportunity in this space as well. Okay. So, you know, brick and mortar as a portion of office supplies, industry sales during the, uh, outside of the back to school season, it makes up anywhere from, uh, 75 to 80% of, uh, the, the retail mix. And uh, during the back to school season, it actually, stores make up even a larger portion. It could go up to 85, 90% of the mix. So um, in the past, we've seen e-commerce trend somewhere but around 10% of retail mix sales, and it gains about one to two share points every year. Uh, during 2020, we gained um, about seven share points in e-commerce, and it's we actually have gained 10 total in, in a time span of three to four years. So we really have seen this shift towards consumers purchasing more online. There are several driving factors. I would say with 2020, one thing to really think about and be cautious about as you head into 2021 and back to school is that a portion of that share gain for e-commerce was definitely consumer demand driven. So consumers moving online, using curbside, ropus, uh, delivery, uh, all these different online services. Another portion of that uh, share gain is just naturally due to the volume drop at stores. So if you have a volume drop, your, your e-commerce share is going to naturally pick up, right? So I think that's something to think about as we head into 2021, where I do believe we're going to receive e-commerce volume gains but the resurgence of store sales is going to pull on that e-commerce share. And I think that we're actually going to see the e-commerce mix net out somewhere between what it was in 2019 and what it was in 2020. So we might pick up three to four share points, but I don't believe we're going to gain the same rate of share that we have before with the return of consumer shopping in stores, particularly during the back to school season. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, I wanted to focus a little bit on back to school. That, as you said, it's such a key a key part of of that selling season. Overall, how how did back to school fare in twenty twenty? So back back to school, um, we can talk about it in several layers. So the first layer, as an industry, we were down about nine ten percent. But when you strip out those non back to school categories, so let's say you take away mailing and shipping and envelopes and storage. Um, a lot of these other categories that were still supporting the industry during that time frame with their growth, back to school categories overall declined around anywhere from 20 to 25 percent overall. So that that was a really steep decline, and um, brands and retailers felt that. We we did see some of it shift out to late September, October as schools reopened and virtual only. Um, 
method or tried, you know, attempted in-person or hybrid. There were some delayed purchasing of school supplies, but it was not anywhere close. The growth was not anywhere close to make up for what was lost during the back to school season. And typically that back to school season in a, in a, in a normal year will make up anywhere from 50% of annual unit sales and 35% of the annual dollar sales. So that season is so critical and important to retail. Um, and this year, you know, I think when we think about what's going to happen in fall of 2021, I, I look at the spring as sort of a test period. So you have, um, I think uh, we're down to 20% virtual only schools in, in the US that's coming from uh, Burbio data. And we're already at around 50% of schools uh, heading back in person. And I believe hybrid is trending somewhere between 2025. Uh, you know, and there's more, there's anticipation for a even broader reopening in April. So the, the schools that are left in virtual only are primarily those that are located in really densely populated metropolitan areas. Um, it's harder for them to head, to head back, you know, and of course there are some politics around that, but overall, I think we will see a broader reopening in April and the spring will sort of act as a little bit of a test pilot for the fall, you know, what went well, what didn't, what do we need to change? What do we need to do better? And the summer will be used to really um, fine tune that. So, uh, you know, just talking about opportunities for the industry, we've got, you know, as, as retailers and brands think about the summer, there's so many things to take advantage of. You have teachers setting up their classrooms for the fall. So they're going to need supplies. You have consumers that know how hard it's been for teachers and students. So, you know, things that have been popular in the past, like teachers' wish lists that were available on Amazon and other retailers, you know, I could see that being something that's uh, a great opportunity for the summer and uh, consumers wanting to help, right, with the, with the back to school push and effort. Um, you've extended learning. So learning loss was a big factor during 2020. So how do you help, you know, make up for that over the summer with extended learning and after school activities and learning at home? And, you know, that's, uh, next to the whole like aspect of experiences and returning to experiences. And then as, as we head into the fall, I, I'm talking about it with clients a lot around, you know, how do you celebrate that? You have a lot of students, parents, teachers, just excited to be able to get kids back into the school, back to learning um, in that environment that, you know, they can enjoy and be around their friends. So how, how do you create this celebratory selling occasion where you know, we're, we're touching on all these aspects for the fall. And I think the, the industry is very excited about it. Retailers and brands are very excited about it. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. That's interesting. So you say that there's an opportunity there to, to make a really big deal of, of back to school in, in 2021. I do. I do. And you can't say that without also putting in the caveats. We can predict up to a certain extent, but of course, you don't know what's going to happen by the time we get to the fall. You don't know, you know, what sort of variants, how the virus will act, how, you know, people and the economy and the government will respond. So these are all things that need that we all we also need to keep kind of in the back of our mind and understand that things change. And we've we learned that in 2020. So I think for now, the push is get students back at, you know, at minimum into the classroom and with that in mind, I think there is a lot of opportunity to celebrate. It also opens the door, if done successfully, for some U.S. adults to return to work, which is a whole nother right domino effect. Okay, good. 
some other trends you've mentioned in a, in, in a blog that I saw were you know, work from home, at home activities. One one I was interested, which which as a, as a driver for sales, was people moving to the to the suburbs and, and, and relocating. Can you perhaps talk about some of those areas? I I definitely can. So I will. Uh, caveat that and say I'm de- I'm not I'm not a moving expert by any means, but we do track the category and we're able to see the impact on sales of moving supplies as those trends ebb, ebb and flow. There's a couple factors in play here. I believe I think one is you have delayed moves from 2020 that are taking place in 2021. Um, so people that were working from home that didn't need to move right are have made it you know created occasions for to be able to execute their moves in 2021. Uh, another part of this is also the flexible work environment. So you have um, several companies that have, or corporations that are reevaluating how their employees go to work. You know, does it need to remain as your traditional large corporate office building and office environment, or um, is there some flexibility there? And you know, does does that apply to the entire organization, or does it apply to certain key employees? So there's. I think there's a lot of decisions being made at that at the corporate level to decide how flexible and and it can also uh, vary by the vertical. For example, you have a lot of tech companies that have announced fully flexible work um, from home arrangements uh, for you know on ongoing permanently. And then you have some verticals that just can't do that. It's just not possible to operate in that way. So I think you'll see this play out in different ways depending on the industry. But to to that regard, you know, when that happens, if you are able to work from home, what does that mean for where you live? You know, do you do you stay in an area where uh, the cost of living is higher and you were primarily working there due to the proximity of your office? Or is there some flexibility now to maybe move a little bit further out where uh, the cost of living is different or you can have more space right for um, within, within, let's say your home. So there's a lot of reasons, uh, I think that, that kind of factor into this decision-making process. And I, I do believe it's, um, concentrated to certain portions of the U S I don't think it's, you know, moving is happening all over. Um, I think you have certain major metropolitan areas where some of these flexible work arrangements are probably happening at a faster rate than others. So people are moving out a little bit to the suburbs and, we did profile the remote worker and we found that they're a little, you know, they tend to be a little bit older suburban and uh, higher income bracket. So it's, you know, there's a specific profile there that is the one that's, that's moving. So you see an opportunity in products related to moving like boxes and tape and packaging and that kind of thing. Yes, it's it's within that area as well as your plastic storage bins. I think plastic storage bins are being used for for moving as well, um, and they're being used within storage facilities. So if you if your move is temporary and your things are in storage, so um, you know I'm a prime example of that. A lot of my products or my 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 belongings are in plastic storage bins in a storage facility right now. Um, so you know versus whether it's permanent. What about the work from home trend itself and in terms of you know pent up demand or still a need for people to buy products related to that is there an opportunity there as well i think there is a huge opportunity there and i think that trend is actually shifting the dynamics of a portion of the office supplies industry so for example um we talk a lot about or i receive a lot of questions from our clients around 
what is the long-term view of the home office, the penetration of the home office worker? So pre-pandemic, I think the home office, the full-time home office worker made up around two to 3% of the entire workforce. And during the pandemic, we've reached anywhere to 70%, right, of the workforce was working from home. And then it's still, we've been, we've been returning to work. I think we're somewhere around 40, 50% now um, back at work based on some of the data that we have at NPD. But what I would sort of um, talk about here is the long-term implication is that we believe it might net out somewhere around 15 to 20% of the workforce, um, even after full vaccinations, still continuing to work from home. And what that does is it opens up two opportunities to sell to this, to this customer. You have, you have them um, shopping for their supplies in their home office at retail. You also you know, can catch them when they're on the go. So when travel starts to slowly return for the, for the business side of the equation, not so much the leisure side, you know, that's a, there's another opportunity there. And then these workers, uh, even if they are within their home office, there will be occasions for them to return to the office for collaboration, for group projects, for workshops. There are different types of items that are needed within that space. Uh, and for that kind of productivity and work. And they have to, you know, they might need a space within the office to go in two or three days a week if that's if that's what they choose to do. So I think you, you have these sort of decentralization or um, shifting of where office supplies are being purchased for work purposes. You know, is the employee still going to the employer's supply closet to be able to acquire their goods? Not, you know, that that's changing. And I think the industry is uh, working to respond to that and building new infrastructure in place to be able to meet that demand and meet the worker at their home. So I think there is a lot of opportunity. I think that that that's a permanent factor in how we're going to be working in the future. And that needs to be taken into account in terms of how retailers and resellers go to market in the future. Okay. And consumers have a choice whether they purchase from a retail store, from a pure play online reseller or commercial office products dealer, for example. So you've got three three channels there battling for those consumer dollars. What's going to make one of those more successful than, than the others? I think understanding the customer, creating a seamless brand experience, having those touch points across those different channels. So I think um, being able to play in in all in each one of these, I guess, digital services or in-person services um, and having access to your customer in that way. The other, you know, the other area that I think retailer, retailers or resellers can think about is also partnering directly um, and brands as well. I mean, if there's a direct, direct to cons- direct to customer play, I guess in, the, in that case. But if for the office supplies industry, you know, is there a way for them to create a direct connection with some of these larger corporations to offer um, a way to distribute the supplies through this decentralized structure? So I, you know, I think there's a lot of things that can be done. I, you know, from a supply chain and logistics standpoint, there could be some limitations to what can be done. But I, I do think there's a lot of things to be vetted out and worked on. Right. Do you think these are trends that? We're already in place before COVID and COVID has accelerated them or are we seeing some some new trends play I, out? I think a lot of this was already in on the train tracks. It was just going very slow. And I think COVID accelerated a lot of a lot of this and really opened the door to what could be or what what uh, work could be like. Um, and I think there's a lot of conversations happening right at a corporate 
and um, business level around what 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 can we do? But then also, what are some of the legalities and um, risks associated with we can what what we can and can't do? And that will also drive the decision making in the long run. I did a, a presentation to um, one of our biggest clients a couple of days ago, and we talked about um, you know thinking about the work from home and in office trends, not just through 2021, but you know how do you think about that over the next five years and you know, is 2021 more of a sort of a test pilot year where different um, policies and different ways to go to work are tried out? And then in 2022, do we revisit those decisions? Are they working? Are they not? Uh, where do we invest? Right. So because with, with, with what is working, you know, do we do we put more focus on that? And then in the year following, you know, revisit that again and make changes, you know, once once more. And I think what brands and retailers need to do is understand that this is a long-term process. So this is a very long relationship that you want to have with the customer and then making sure you're checking in and understanding how are, how are the decisions being made? How are they changing? And how is the mindset changing? Um, I'll give a, a, a one example. And, you know, one thing we talked about is there are a lot of younger professionals that can't wait to get back to the office, right? They miss that camaraderie. They miss being within within uh, the, the building with their friends, having lunch and, you know, all these different like benefits that come from being in that in that environment. And, you know, as just this is just more of a personal sample conversation that I've had. But one of the things that we talked about is, well, when you go back to the office, if there are a lot of policies in place. So you have to have a mask on and, you know, there's socially social distancing involved. And there's a lot of different aspects that change what the environment was and how you remember it pre-pandemic. And, you know, is there sort of a, an alignment you have to make around or like a, um, a an acceptance of, you know, what is the, the fantasy look like of going back to work versus what will the reality actually be? And then when I compare that back to how I was working or how productive I was within my office, does it does that work for me or what do I prefer? And that's what I mean by during that second year, you're not only going to have corporations, you know, thinking about their policies, but you also have employees sort of reacting to the new environment that they're going to be in. And how do you adjust for that? And how do you make it more comfortable, more secure, more safe, all these things? So there's a there's a lot to be figured out, and I think it, it'll be a slow process. We'll see. We will see indeed. <laughs> Lean, thank you very much for those very pertinent insights, and it was a pleasure having you on OPI Talk today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Andy. It's a pleasure as always. If you have got this far, then thank you for listening to this episode of OPI Talk. Please check out our website, opi.net, for news, interviews, analysis, and much more from the business products world. We've also got a great app that you can download from the App Store or Google Play. Just search for OPI Magazine. And we hope you will join us again soon for another episode of OPI Talk.